Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. We're in a series on peace. Every week I ask you if you're ready for Christmas. I usually get a groan or a laugh. Are you ready for Christmas? Closely? Okay, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're there now. It only took till two days before. And we're ready. That's good. That's the way it should be. The birth. Preparing for a birth. Um, we're in a message on peace, on shalom. And I'm just, just in case we have visitors who haven't been walking along with us, I'm going to throw this out there again. Um, when we talk about peace, God's peace, shalom, we're talking about something far more than um, a wonderful feeling or the absence of conflict or war. We're talking about a deep completeness in him. I know most of y'all, y'all got this now. You're, you're probably ready to stop hearing me say it. It's his, it's his presence of fullness, right? That's what God's talking about when he's talking about peace. And every week we've started by, well, somewhere in there, we've looked at Luke chapter 19 and verse 41 which is a strange verse to look at um, at Christmas time, really, because it's when he's riding into Jerusalem in the last week. It's when he's, he's about to be put to death, really. And, and what it says here is it says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. I know you know by now why he's weeping. He's weeping because he looks over. It's just like here in the mountains. You get to a top. And you look out and you can see, sometimes you can look down and you can see the whole thing. And it occurs to him, he says, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. And what's in this your day? In other words, in your time, in your time to live this blessing, his delight over you. That's your time. And he's saying, if you'd known what makes for your peace. So we're saying it's of critical importance, right? To, to know the things. Notice that that's plural. Jesus is our peace, right? That's singular. God is one. His presence, we've been looking at these things. His presence is your peace, right? Your peace is in the center of your purpose because he made you. So, of course, that's where your peace is. But this is the things that make for your peace, it's a, it's a plural. There are various aspects of this truth for us to understand if we're going to live in his peace. Now, I have to tell you, here's the thing. Here's where we're going this morning. Um, and you see the verse there, the main verse, that he did not come to bring peace but a sword. You can now wait a second. Up here on the banners and in, in the Emmanuel prophecy and all over the place, he's the prince of peace. He came to bring peace. And then he says, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. You came to bring peace. You didn't come to bring peace. Make up your mind, right? <laughs> What's going on here? And, and what is it? I've been having people coming to me throughout this month. I've been deeply disturbing some people, which I always appreciate. I was like, oh, God's on the move. There's people really disturbed. God's on the move. <laughs> because I'm, I'm teaching about peace. God's having me share things about, about how peace is practical. I've been telling you every week. He means for this to be practical. It actually means for you to be, a, the, the kingdom of God is at hand. That means it's within your reach, right? He means for you to be able to reach out and take it. But you see, this is deeply disturbing. What about people who know, that, who know very powerfully that the presence of God is with you? 
And you know very powerfully that you're walking in the direction of his words over you, his will for you. And yet there's a horrible lack of peace in your life. Challenge and strife and trouble. <laughs> what then? So what are we, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Okay. Um, I want you to go, go ahead with me to Luke chapter 2 and verse 13. And um, this was already mentioned this morning in the lighting of the Advent wreath. And this is the announcement of the angels to the shepherds. And I, I, I know I've done this every week. I just have to tell you again. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Goodwill. Now we've broken down this word. We're just going to do it one more time because I want to start here. Goodwill, which is satisfaction, delight, and purpose. Isn't that odd? He means for you to have satisfaction, delight, and purpose. And so when there's, there's a crazy lack of peace, there's tribulation and, and challenge and strife, what's that all about? Are you doing something wrong? <laughs> We're going to look at that. Um, go to uh, John chapter 14 and verse 25. And we're just going to begin to get an insight in this, okay? Here, Jesus is speaking, and he says, These things I've spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. Okay, notice the parallel. Notice the similarity. The Holy Spirit, the one that he's going to send. You understand the whole reason Jesus was born on that first Christmas morning was because he was a God who desired to have face-to-face -face relationship. Okay, the word of God says that Jesus is the express image of the Father. When you see him, you're seeing the Father. The Lord our God is one. And he desired to be the God that is among us with face-to-face -face relationship, right? And, and so his birth was so that he could accomplish a work for you to have the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God, his presence. Okay, so, and what we're reading here, you're reading that one of the primary roles that this person of the Godhead came to teach you all things. Now, why did Jesus weep? He looked out over Jerusalem and he wept because they didn't know the things that make for their peace. Now, just in case you're wondering if I'm stretching the scripture, next in verse 27, it says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Okay, so even when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the one he sends, he's already talking about how he made it practical for you to have his peace. Amen? Okay, but now I want you to notice the distinction, and this is really what we're going to talk about. Um, there's a distinction here, and it's very important to catch it. He says, um, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Okay, so there's a difference. So look, if, you're st if you've been struggling all month, even just a little bit or struggling a lot, so much you came to me to say, I don't know about what you're doing, <laughs> telling us up there. If you've been struggling like that, it's important to recognize that there, you know that there are 
different kinds of peace. There are different offerings of peace, okay? You know that the world does have some peace to offer. It does. Or the illusion of a peace, a temporary peace, a feel-good peace. <laughs> I can always count on you. <laughs> but that's not the peace that he came to give. Okay. You know, even in the birth of Jesus, and you all know this, he was born in great opposition. The Prince of Peace comes. The angels are announcing peace on earth, goodwill to men. While at the very moment, Herod the Great has made a plot to kill every child under two years old in the area of Bethlehem. Why, you see, there's a great opposition going on here. And we're going to get such a fine point on this today, or that's my prayer, that you'll never look at this the same again. Now, okay, here we go. Last week we were talking about um, our buddy Gid, Gideon, right? And um, I, I'm not, for time's sake, I'm not going to go back and rehash that whole story, but I'm going to give you a quick summary here, okay? This is what we looked at last week. Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press, right? Because he has to hide because he's fearful, because he doesn't know who he is. God's presence shows up and what? Speaks words of identity over him. Y'all remember this? He speaks what's truth, what, what is the truth of Gideon's identity in God. You mighty man of valor. And when Gideon kind of tries to, to hee-haw around and argue, argues, God almost ignores what he's saying and says, go in your, go in your might. Right? Gideon is not willing to pretend in relationship. That's what happens next. He's not feeling it, okay? We have to do this. Do you know that God speaks words over you all the time? You know he's nuts about you. He's absolutely delighted with you. You're his plan and he made you and he's always speaking words of truth over you. Have you ever, <laughs> this is a silly question, I'm gonna ask it anyway. Have you ever had a moment in your life where God speaks a word over you and it is just too marvelous to hold. I mean, there's no way. My wounds, my circumstances, everything of this world screams that cannot possibly be true. It's just too wonderful to be true. There's no way. Do you, have, do, do you all have this experience? Father, I pray for anyone in here who has not had this experience. I pray that that is your Christmas gift this year, that you speak words that are so marvelous that they, they just can't even accept it immediately, that they want to believe it, but it's just so marvelously true about them in the name of Jesus. Because I'm telling you, he's doing that. He's delighted. He's crazy about you. And that's what he's doing. He's giving you life. He's speaking words of life over you. Okay, so Gid's not willing to fake relationship and he demands a sign, right? And God gives it. Can you imagine God concedes to his demands? And he names the place God is peace. I have to remind you this part before we move on. He names the place God is peace. So let's get this straight. God says, you're a mighty man of valor, and he's basically sending him to war. He's basically saying you're going to be totally capable because I'm going with you and this is your identity. Sends him to war and Gideon names the place God is peace. The irony. Because why does Gideon do that? Do you all remember from last week? You see, because the, your peace 
is in being the truth of who you are, is in receiving the words of truth over who you are. Amen? Okay. We had to do that. Now we're going to move on in the story and answer some questions that are plaguing people. Um, I have to do this. You know, um, Gideon's name really comes from a root, um, Gadah, okay, which means to fell a tree. So we're talking about his identity again, right? His name, to fell a tree, generally speaking, to destroy mighty things that need to come down. It's his name, okay? Now read with me in the story in Judges chapter 6 and verse 22, and I'll let you turn there a moment. See, I'm going to tell you what we're about to see while you're turning. The more you align with the kingdom will. Now, how do you do that? You become more truly yourself, more truly what God planned, the destiny that he made you for. The more you align with the kingdom will, the more you will find yourself at odds with the, illusion, with the world's peace with the illusion of an inferior peace. This is what we're about to see. So um, starting, did I say 22? Okay, start in verse 25, actually. And that's what I gave you, right? Okay, sorry, didn't mean to give you some moments of panic there. (laughs) Here it says, Now it came to pass the same night that the, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So stay there. We're going to keep moving. And I'll show you something. So what happens? God comes and speaks words of truth over him, speaks his identity, identity and says, you mighty man of valor. Too marvelous really for Gideon to even get a handle on. He doesn't feel that way. He's hiding. But I want to tell you, and this is true in your life, the very next thing that happens is God will begin to speak how you walk in that truth. Did you catch that? That's what's going on here next, okay? This word is spoken, the truth of his identity in God, where his peace is where the completeness, the fullness of God is for him, the truth of his identity. And then immediately next, it says that same day. Is that what it says? That same night, God begins to speak words of the first step of how you walk in the truth of who you are. Verse 27 says, So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. Now listen to these words. It's so important. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Now, I'm going to show you something. Well, first of all, let me point out, we have not yet and you will not see words of displeasure from God over Gideon in this story. And yet God just spoke over him, you mighty man of valor, go in your might. And what's he doing? He's stepping out. He does go, does he not? He does go to fulfill the words. He does end up tearing down the altar, cutting down the idol. He does it. But he does it by night. 
And why does he do it by night? Fear of man. In fact, he's, he's, there's actually a fear of the culture of the household that was, you, you make the guess. I, I don't know if we would say that his father built it, that culture, that family, or if it was allowed by his father. We may get some clues about that later. You can decide. But it's, it's out of this fear, and he's doing it by night. But this is really the, uh, the gift. This is the insight I had this week, okay, one of them. And I want you to get this. The Lord does not have displeasure over Gideon because he does it by night. Do you know that as you begin to walk the words of truth, the words of peace, the truth of your identity, you begin to walk it. God does not delight in you because you have a perfect performance or you are immediately what God speaks over you. Amen? Why does he delight in you? Because he's, he loves you. He create, he's your father. That's what fathers do. <laughs> they delight in their sons. It's not a perfect performance. You see, God is delighted because he, even because he begins to step out in the night, even, to begin walking the truth of the word spoke, spoken over him. Do you got this? Is this exciting just to me? Y'all are starting to scare me a little. Is this, is this good news? You understand what I'm saying? It is not a performance. He delights in you because he delights in you. And he speaks words of life over you because he's so in love with you that he has a magnificent future in front of you. <laughs> and he just he delights in you because he delights in you. However you begin to walk in the direction of the words of life that he's speaking over you, means that you've begun to walk in that way. He's up in the throne room saying, saying, oh, do you see that one? Others in the throne room, you know, might be looking going, ah, but he's doing it by night. I mean, he's really kind of screwing it up. He doesn't look so mighty to me. And, but not God. God's going, look at this. He was hiding in the wine press, and now he's starting to move in who he is. Do you see? He's just beginning, and God's going, I delight in that. Look at this. Look at, look at my son, Gid. <laughs> look what he's doing. Oh, I know it's not perfect. Just be quiet. I'm watching Gid. That's what God's doing over you. He's speaking words of life, and he's not looking for a performance. He is looking for your obedience. For, remember, it was in the offering that Gid got, got the uh, assurance of the word, right? He is looking for your offering. He is looking for a step. No matter how weird you do it, he's looking for a step, okay? He's looking for you to move in that direction because he loves you, not because he needs it, not because he needs the result. It's because he delights in you and has good plans for you. So Gid does the thing by cover of night. And go on to verse 28, okay? Verse 28 says, And when the men of the city arose early in the morning... Now, do you think... Um, I just have to do this. Do you think that the men of his father's household, the men of the city, is going to get a warm welcome like, Oh, look, Gid is breaking out into new health. <laughs> look at this guy. He's, his identity is coming alive. Let's throw a feast for Gid. Now, okay, so here we go. Here's that, here's that opposition of peace that we're going to put a fine point on. 
Verse 28, and when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been, had been built. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they in, had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring your son out that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. Now, we've got to get a couple things straight. The things that Gideon did, do you just, just recognize with me that they are, only, they are nothing other than the manifestation of the truth of Gideon's identity in God? Okay, you see, it results in actions that make things happen that are in alignment with the kingdom. And you see the world's response. Why does the world respond that way? We have to get this. They lost all control. You see, I want to tell you something. When the true peace of God breaks out in your life, through his words of life that are making your real identity manifest, when the true peace of God breaks out, it will shatter the illusion of peace that those in this world have. I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. What? I thought you were the prince of peace. He is the prince of the peace of the kingdom of God, an alien thing that is not of this world, and a thing, a peace that will highlight the illusion of the world's peace for everyone that is around you. It will put you in opposition to everyone and everything around you. That sounds more like a sword than peace to me. But you see, that's the peace of God. Um, I think we have to skip. I have to do this. I'm feeling it. Okay. Um, go to 2 Corinthians and chapter 2. I think we're going to start in verse 12. I have to preface this with a little metaphor God gave me. I was really kind of praying for a good metaphor, and I'm kind of excited about this one. Um, so most of you know I'm a hockey coach. I get the distinct pleasure of coaching like nine-year-olds, nine- and ten-year-olds. And um, you would think, you know, they're so cute at that age, even when they're ferociously playing hockey and whatever, that you wouldn't think that they would be, you thinking, oh, cute little kid, that they wouldn't have like a major stench, that it wouldn't be like a stinky locker room. But you would not believe the stank that a nine-year-old can, a room full of nine-year-olds in their hockey gear and everything can exude. It's, it's, something, it's something else. Um, and, and I've got to tell you, to like the players and the coaches, we learn to love it, okay? That stink is the smell of life. It's the smell of young kids coming into how to be brave in the midst, 
in the midst of a war on ice and how to put the team above yourself and, and you know, all the things that they're learning and the fun and the smiles and the laughter. It, that smell is that for us. But you see, like the wrong hockey mom walks in at the wrong time <laughs> and you see the instant gag reflex happen, the <laughs> right? And I'm pretty sure that to her it's the smell of death. She already has visions of showers with scrub pads and things to make that go away. Okay, so we'll return to that in just a minute, but I want you to read now with me um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, okay? And it says, Now when I went to Trous, this is Paul, to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. Did you catch that? He found that the Lord had opened a door for him. I still had no peace of mind. Now we're talking about Paul here. And, we, and it just said that the Lord had opened a door for him. But he had no peace of mind. So you have to understand. Let's just gather this, okay? And we're going to see it clearly in a minute. But Paul understands that there are different kinds of peace. He's able to, say, he's able to stop and go, go, Man, and I should give you the reason. It says, because I did not find my brother Titus there, so I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. So in other words, he has no peace because as far as getting love from the world, <laughs> peace, things really aren't working out that well. The people that he needs to be there aren't there and he's got to move from here to there. He still has no peace of mind. But he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. You see, shalom, God's assurance and peace is right there for him. While at the same time he can say, as far as the worldly stuff is going, I have no peace of mind. Give me a nod if what I'm saying is making sense or if I'm doing a flyover. Okay, good, good. Okay, now here's what we're doing this, verse 14. Um, I read that, but, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Did you know that the knowledge of him has a fragrance? The moment you come to Jesus, the world is your locker room. <laughs> okay? I'm just telling you. It goes on and says, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Now listen to me. It's very important to notice the words there. It doesn't say that you are an aroma to other people. Notice the words. It says that for we are to God the aroma of Christ. To God you're an aroma. Among those. So you understand that you are just an aroma. You're an aroma to God. You're an offering to God. But that aroma, that fragrance, is among those who what? Two categories. Are being saved and those who are perishing. You smell that? <laughs> That's my peace. <laughs> That's the smell of freedom. <laughs> Don't worry, you can have it too. You know, to all who put their faith in them, in him, the kingdom of God is at hand. You too can stink like this. Okay? But you see that to those who have all of their beans in a false peace, 
to those who, who, have, who have some of their lot trusting in things in the world, that smell of your freedom is the smell of death for them. Why? Because, because your assurance, even though you're in the midst of the worst circumstances, sickness, illness, bad marriage, bad finances, every, everything seems to be wrong, but you stand there in the fragrance of the peace of God, you are convicting to them. You literally shatter for them the illusion of peace that they so desperately need to hang on to. It says, to one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Their fragrance is that they're sent from God. They, they reek with peace and assurance of the Father's love. My circumstances just fell apart, but you know what? I'm totally certain that my Father's nuts about me. That's alien to people. You see, you know what this world does. They say when things are going badly, it, it, it's a statement of how God feels about you. Do this with me. Go, boo. <laughs> he delights in you. Say, he delights in me. He's nuts about me. And he only has the very best plans for me. And I'm going to have to fight like you know what to get those plans manifest in my life. <laughs> Why? Why do you have to fight like you know what to get those plans manifest in your life? The kingdom of God to manifest out of your identity in your life. Why? Because of Satan? And, and because everything, the moment you come to Christ and the world becomes your locker room, <laughs> everything in this world is in opposition to you. Period. In fact, okay, here I go again. Okay. In fact, I want to read, can we go to John 15 and verse 18? I want you to read. Actually, you know what? Let's don't do that. I want to do this. I just want to keep you, I don't want you to get to where like you know what's going on the whole time. <laughs> oh, I probably... Here. Okay, this is so good. Then we'll go back to that. We've got to do it this way. Judges chapter 6. We're continuing in the story of Gideon, verse 31. Now you've got to see this. Okay, they come out. What? They come out and they want to put Gideon to death. You're totally in opposition to us. You just tore down everything we've got our trust in. We worship that idol. It's not working out very well for us, but we still do it and we still put our trust in him and Gideon tears it down, right? Now here's, here's how it reads starting in verse 31. But Joash, you remember who he is, that's Gideon's father. Now it's important to recognize that. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. Why? You have to understand 
you have to understand their culture here for a second, okay? If they had an altar to Baal and they had the idol standing there on the property of Joash is the father, he's, he's the Lord of that kingdom, if you will. It had to be allowed by him, at least allowed. I mean, he may not have been, you make up your mind, he may or may not have been wholeheartedly in with those of his household, but he allowed it. We know that. And yet here he is going, standing up for his son Gideon. Why? Because that's what fathers do. <laughs> that's what fathers do. Okay? And it goes on and, and reads, um, he starts talking about Baal and says, if he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him, this is, he called uh, his son uh, Ged, Jerubal, which means can either be interpreted Baal will contend or contends with Baal. In other words, what just happened? God speaks mighty words of Gideon's identity over him and says, you're a mighty man of valor. Gideon begins even doing it kind of like by a cover of night and all of that. He's not in the fullness of that word yet, but he's walking in it. He tears down those altars and now he is a man who has a name added to him. He, the name added to him is contends with Baal. He becomes a man who contends with the demonic and prevails. Does that sound anything like the authority that you're supposed to have? <laughs> you are to contend with all that is in opposition to the kingdom of God and prevail. He speaks that over you. Why? Because you're his son. <laughs> now, I want you to see this theme, okay? Um, because we've been talking about this for the entire month. And the theme here, okay, you see that... Um, Okay, how should I do this? Joash says, let the false god contend for himself. Are you catching it? Now, all through the month, I've been challenging you saying, be real with God. Do you have an argument to take up? Go argue with him. <laughs> do, you have, do you have a bone to pick? Do it. Do you need a sign? Demand it. He wants to be a face-to-face -face God. That's why Jesus was born as a man, so the face of God would be here with us. So you would have that relationship. And you see that here. He's Joash, the way he contends with the people who are against God, he goes and he says, he says, let the false gods prove themselves. Right? And God, your God, is the only God who is desperate and eager and with the greatest of love and delight in you wants to prove himself to you. He's the God who can say, let false gods prove themselves. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure if God did it or if I did it, but this really got hard on me because we've gone all over the place. Um, okay, now, now go with me to... Um, John chapter 15 and verse 18. I want you to see this. And as you're turning there, 
I want to get back to you realize that Joash stands up for him and we, and we say, why? Because he's his father. Now I know that, that we have all kinds of fatherhood in this world, okay? So sometimes it is hard for us to, to understand or get in the mode of thinking like, well, how's it supposed to be between a father and, the son, and a son? Um, but your father in heaven is a perfect father and he's nuts about you. Just say he's nuts about me. And here we're going to see what you've been included in, okay? This is Jesus speaking, and he, in verse 18 it says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. There's peace just in that statement, is there not? <laughs> it hates you as soon as you, soon as you start exuding a fragrance <laughs> of my freedom, it hates you. Because the, their peace, the illusion of their peace is shattered. The illusion of freedom is shattered. They're actually slave to the world, right? It goes on. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. I do not know the Father. Just say, I am my Father's. Goes on. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Now listen to me. Why do they have no excuse for their sin now? I know the truth. Yep, I'm hearing lots of right answers. Because Jesus was born here and he began, he began to manifest the truth of his identity. What's his plan for your life? To manifest the truth of your identity, your God-given identity to manifest the truth, the, the power, the ability, the authority of God in you. It's the same as Jesus's. Why are they without excuse? Because he walked right, around, right among them and he manifested the reality of the kingdom of God, the truth of his identity, the Prince of Peace. And of course... <laughs> The whole time he did that, all, all, all that actually happened in terms of the world around him was an increase and an increase of conflict until they said, man, we got to kill him, <laughs> right? The Prince of Peace needs to die. Okay, now here's why we're reading this. Um, verse 23 goes on and says, he who hates me hates my father also. Okay, do you see the same thing in the Gideon story? If they hated Gideon, Joash says, well, you're hating me too then. That's my son. <laughs> you're his son. If you're experiencing great love from this world, I just have to say this. You might as well stop and take inventory um, because that probably, you know, if you're getting great peace, great love from the world, it probably means you're advancing a kingdom other than God's. It probably means that. Peace, and I'll leave that, I'll leave that. Verse 24, it says, if I, if I um, 
had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. What did he do? All he did was manifest his identity. Make the kingdom real among them. The same call that's on your life. And he says, but this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in the law. They hated me without cause. Why, would, why is it without cause? Because manifesting the kingdom, doing the will of heaven is righteous. It makes it without cause. When you become more fully the truth of what God is speaking over you, you are without cause. You will be hated. I just, I just have to reiterate this, okay? These are the questions. Those of you that are coming disturbed saying, well, you're preaching about peace. You're saying in the presence of God is peace, is completeness, is fullness, is prosperity, is well-being, right? And you're coming disturbed and you're saying, you're saying well, what, what about when it's not there? I'm like, oh, I'm realizing God put it on my heart to let you know that we're, we're thinking about two different things, okay? The more you take on the peace, the shalom of God, the more you will find yourself in opposition to the world. The more your business aligns with the ways of Jesus, with the kingdom of God, with the fullness of God in it, the more your business will find itself in opposition. The more your marriage finds itself full of the Holy Spirit, manifesting the kingdom of God, the more you will see opposition and hardship and challenge and explosions in that marriage. I'm just going to put this out there. The more your church begins to manifest the truth of the works of Jesus, the, the fullness, the reality of the kingdom of God, the more you will see conflicts from without, from within, opposition. <laughs> There's no love in this world for the convicting peace of Jesus. I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Do you know what he says next after he says that? I did not come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. He begins to talk about, I'm going to bust up families. <laughs> Fathers and daughters are going to be split. And um, I don't think I put that, the rest of that verse in here, but that's what he talks about next. Does that sound like peace to you? Well, it's the peace of the kingdom of God because you're a fragrance as you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You are either the fragrance of life or you are the fragrance of death to every person you come in contact with when you're Jesus's. And the more powerfully you manifest the truth of the kingdom of God, which is his plan in you, he, he delights in you, he wants to release the identity that he planned for you. He loves you like that. His plan is for you to manifest the kingdom of God. And the more powerfully you do that, the stronger your aroma gets. Like, a, like my son's locker room. It's like that. <laughs> Let me see. You see, automatically... I'm just going to put this out there and we'll start to close. Automatically, what you exude, what you represent is in opposition 
to those who haven't chosen it. There's, there's a very real war against. It's not even just random. It's not even just like, oh, you're messing up my peace. You're convicting me because I see you have the real thing and I don't understand why. How did, how did you get that? It's not just that. It's that there, somebody said Satan. Who was that? Of course it was. There is also a very real enemy who is authoring opposition. He's creating illusion and deception on purpose against you. But don't worry. He's overcome the world. Amen? Amen. It's nothing to worry about. <laughs> okay. I, no, I, sh I really should read it. I had this thought. Let all who can stand the stench come on in. <laughs> that's my gift to you. That's my Christmas gift. That's, that's, do not, oh, here it is. I can read this. Did I give you, um, whew, I really blew this apart. I think it's Luke um, 12, verse 34. Actually, I don't think I gave you what's coming. It's okay. I'm just going to read this. It says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the Prince of Peace speaking. What's your cross? That's uh, New King James. Oh, what verse? I thought you said version. <laughs> That's, um, that was 34 through 39, I believe, in Luke chapter 12. Or I've got the chapter wrong. I don't know. Somebody know? Matthew? What chapter? Ten. ten. Matthew ten. That's what I said. <laughs> oh, it's recorded. <laughs> yeah, I really blew my notes apart here. There's nothing in order or anything anymore. <laughs> What's your cross? You know what? We'll just close with this. He just said... He just said, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Do you need to die for the sins of the world? <laughs> Thank God, right? All praise to Jesus. So what's your cross? <laughs> yeah, putting to death everything that keeps you from Jesus. I like that. Huh? What was it? Purpose. I like that too. We talked about that last week. And that's, that's really it. What's your cross receiving? Okay, the story this morning is that Gideon had to receive those words. Now I know that you're going to relate with me, okay? You've got to relate with me here. Otherwise I quit. Um, 
God speaks words. How many of you know that when God begins to speak words of truth of your identity, begins to speak words of life over you, that they are the hardest words in the world to receive? Those words of love that are, that are true of your identity, what he planned when he knit you in your mother's womb and knew all your days before you lived the first one, the, the outpouring of delight and love, the fact that he dances over you. The fact that you're the apple of his eye, you are his bride, you are his son, his words always come in that love. And do you know that that is because the world has wounded and battered and screams lies, screams everything in opposition to that. From the day you're born until today, the world screams everything in opposition to that. Do you know that the words of God over you are the hardest words in the world to receive? His love. He's nuts about you. Did anybody just go, ooh, I don't know? <laughs> Somebody did. Although I say that often enough around here, you're probably starting to have a hard time with it. That's my prayer. <laughs> it's the hardest words to receive, and yet they are the words that release your identity. That's your cross. Do you know what your cross is? Accepting what he did on the cross. <laughs> That's your cross. That's dying to self because the world has caused you to build up a persona, to build up all kinds of things that you put your faith in that, that hold his love at arm's distance. And he died for you to have that love. He crossed the universe. He was born as a baby in the arms of a teenager with his father's plan to send him to a cross so that you could have that love so that he could express his delight in you and release the truth of who you are. Accepting that is your cross. Everything this world does to you wants to scream that, well, I'm not worthy of it, or I'm worthy of part of it. He might have a couple good plans for me, but you know, really probably not as good as for other people. And I know the messages that you hear. Your cross, your dying to self is dying to all of the safety mechanisms, the walls and um, <laughs> the armory that holds God's love at arm's length. Amen? Amen. Are you you want to be done with that? Let that be the Christmas gift this year. I have a challenge for you. Let me see if I still have the same one I thought I had. <laughs> See, actually, I'm going to put this out there, okay? How hard do you think it must have been for Mary to receive the words that were spoken over her? You're going to get impregnated with God. And you're, you're going to carry him to maturity until the reality of the kingdom is literally birthed in this world the very face of God. The, the scripture says the express image of the Father is about to be born. This is what you're going to do, highly favored one. How hard must those words have been? And do, do you know that he speaks those words over you? Do you know that that, that is an exact detail for detail parallel over God's plans over you in your life? Do you know that? <laughs> he wants to fill you. He wants to impregnate you with himself. He, he came so that you would have the Holy Spirit in you and that you would swell 
with the Holy Spirit until it births into the reality of the kingdom around you in your life. It's the words he speaks over you. Can you receive that? And this is my challenge. If you struggle receiving that, and here's, here's the truth, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to make the guess that every single person in here has some aspect of yourself that struggles to receive that. I know I do on a daily basis. Um, I challenge you to take 10 minutes. If you've got an hour, take an hour. But sometime over this Christmas, take 10 minutes and have a face-to-face with God like we've talked about. The attitude of Gideon that says, um, I hear you, but I need you to prove yourself. I need a sign. Or like Jacob, if we had another hour, I was going to talk about Jacob this morning, but um, ready to wrestle with God. I'm not letting you go until you give me the blessing. What's your word over me? And help me receive it where I can't. Because he's crazy about you. He wants to give you the Christmas gift, which is himself. And he wants you to be able to receive the words of life over you. Um, I'm going to begin this with the prayer. But we just invite you uh, to let the Holy Spirit speak over whatever it is this morning that speaks to you. Let him reveal to you what he wants to wrestle with you about. Um, what he's sitting on the edge of his seat waiting for you to bring to him and just say, I've got a bone with you. (laughs) You've been speaking this and that's not what I'm experiencing or whatever it is you have to do, okay? So if you're comfortable with it, just close your eyes, take some deep breaths, invite the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always with you. Invite him to make his presence very real very experienceable. Lord, we want um, to make ourselves an offering to you. We agree and we say, yes, we are an offering. As messy and, and weird and oddly as we bring our offering, we, we offer ourselves just exactly like we are. And we thank you that you are not looking for a performance And that you are perfectly delighted in us even as we are just, we are becoming the words that you're speaking over us. Father, I just pray a mighty blessing in the strong name of Jesus that you are breaking off bondages and false beliefs right now in the name of Jesus and you're increasing the capacity of our hearts to receive the words that you're speaking over us. I pray, Lord, that this would be a Christmas that is wrought with your gifts in the name of Jesus, the gifts of your words, the gifts of life, that we would be able to receive it more deeply and become more truly what you've planned for us to be this Christmas in the strong name of Jesus. I cancel the assignments of the enemy to conceal and obscure and lie about us, and I bind them over this Christmas and these families You will be silent, you will be inactive, and you will be cast out of these families so that the voice of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the words that you're speaking are the words that are going to be in these households in the strong name of Jesus.